Hey everyone, welcome to Manufacturing Hub. If you guys are new here, welcome. If you've been here before, welcome back. If you are new here, the first couple of minutes are what I call community comments, just to let everyone go ahead and get in, kind of set a bit of the stage and the expectations with this. Super excited to have two guests on this week. It's going to be kind of a little bit different than normal because as you guys will hear, Russ does a lot of work in the facilities at Phoenix Contact USA. And Clint sells a lot of the energy monitoring and is the product manager for a lot of the energy monitoring for the pro or for the projects that Russell does. And I have heard that sometimes there's some arm wrestling as to Russell actually just wants some, some hardware so that he can go make the facility better so that he can go help them run more, run more equipment faster. But I think we, we will go ahead and get into that in just a couple of moments. If you guys missed it on Monday, we had a special live build, which is actually an energy monitoring live build. Would absolutely suggest that you guys go back and take a look at that. And we had some questions on that. So just as an FYI for everyone, that will be online on Solus PLC on the YouTube channel in perpetuity. And while we're here, we should absolutely say hi to the folks on Solus PLC. You guys always show up to come listen to Vlad and I talk and, and interview our guests every week. So thank you for that. If you guys are watching on Solus PLC, I would absolutely say hit that subscribe button. Almost 38,000 subscribers, which is uh, which is awesome. And Clint Russ, as you guys will hear because I'm about to say it. I've been asking people to subscribe to Solus PLC for more than 105 episodes at this point, and Vlad refuses to ask for his own subscribers on this channel. So we, as the people who ask, more than are willing to to go ahead and and take credit for all of Vlad's work and his 38,000 subscribers. Thank you. Uh, absolutely. What are friends for? I will say that if you guys are watching on LinkedIn, if you guys are watching kind of anywhere else, please feel free to go ahead and drop some comments in there. We do our best to go ahead and pull everyone in the comments and the comments in the live chat yeah the, the comments in the live chat as we go through this it is one of our most fun and vlad's most stressful parts of the show while you're doing that feel free to uh follow manufacturing hub the, the network on linkedin clint russell vlad and myself we are all on the linkedin we're on the linkedin event that if you guys are watching live will go ahead and find us and you guys can absolutely go ahead and connect to all of us as we go through that and then before we go in and jump off to kick off one big special thank you to phoenix contact the usa and zach stanks thank you to zach stank for, for going ahead and helping us sponsor this data-driven sustainability which has been a really awesome series of conversations mostly around energy and energy monitoring and sustainability and Honestly, going in, I wasn't particularly sure. We could go have four or five conversations around what sustainability is and why it's important, but it's amazing that we can, and I am super happy that we have been able to do that. So without further ado, everyone, I'd like to officially welcome you to Manufacturing Hub. I'm Dave. This guy down here is Vlad. We are talking episode 105. We are continuing and are going to finish our conversation on data-driven sustainability. Again, thank you to Phoenix Contact for going ahead to sponsor that. We want to welcome Clinton Hommel and Russell Kolachek on the show. Russ, Clint, thank you guys for being here. Thanks for having us, Dave. Thank you so much for My taking pleasure. the time today. Before we dive into energy monitoring and what it is that you guys do today, could you give us a little bit of a background? I think we're all always curious how you got into automation what it is that you do today and how did your career progress overall and start let's start with russ i suppose oh sure yeah i took a long path of course like some people do and i spent a bit of times in the trades 
I started off going to college, electrical engineering technology, and decided I was going to jump into trades for a while, took a little hiatus and worked at, in some of the, the trades as electrician and technician and doing a lot of low voltage and high and, and like, you know, medium voltage stuff. And then went back to college, you know, and finished up there. And uh, so got into building automation systems early in my career and for, for quite a few years did that. I worked from the technician level in the field, diagnosing, testing, you know, installing, doing program changes, you know, modifications in the field. And then, and then became a, a in-house engineer, you know, building automation engineer, doing the design work, the, the full, full application programming and, and all that layout and CAD work and all that stuff for a few years. And then eventually got a, got a sweet offer to come work at Phoenix Contact to be their in-house building automation engineer to oversee our, our facility in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania and work on our systems, but and not just like operate them, but try to take things to a new level and like be specifically tasked in my role there to, to what we call a walk the talk or, you know, eat our own hamburgers <laughs> we're, we're trying to. And that's, that's one of my, my, my tasks in the company is how can I make that work? And, and, you know, how can I take a solution that we need that would be simple to go to a third party contractor and just say, Hey, give me a price. And, and then let's just, let's just solve this solution to, you know, taking that and see if I can solve that with our own products. And a lot of times, you know, that, as you've seen, we, we definitely can do that. And it's not the quickest route, but we definitely think it's the more fulfilling route. Awesome. Really cool. Clint? Awesome. Yeah. So I'm Clint Hummel. Like Russ, I started out in the trades. So I went through high school with no intentions of ever going to college and studied at Votech to be an electrician and was going to join the IBEW ended up going to get my associate's degree and then the great financial collapse of 2008 2009 happened while i was in school not a good time to to get into the construction field so like russ decided to take my eet at, at penn state in our harrisburg branch campus and through that i got an internship with phoenix contact and i've been there ever since so coming up on year 11 for me with phoenix contact in the company itself, I started full-time in our tech service department, so doing a lot of application support, product support. I did that for around about three years, and then I made the jump to our product management group, our marketing department, as we call it internally. And in that role, I've supported our motor starter products as well as our energy monitoring products, and for a short stretch of time, also our industrial relays. So switch and measure, that's kind of my background with Phoenix Contact and through the lens of, of, a, of a practical beginning, if you will, a hands-on beginning. I really like the the comment on, you know, being hands-on first before maybe transitioning to some of the higher level roles, because I think that in many instances, at least that I've seen, you know, engineers are very eager to be sort of like the leaders and managers before sort of spending enough time in the field. So I like the approach that you've both taken, right? Like in obviously slightly different like branches, but ultimately gaining that field experience. And now you're, I feel a lot more or better positioned to know about those products, how to integrate them, how to ultimately market them also to your external customers. But I, I really can certainly appreciate that approach. Is that, you know, I, I know that we have a segment called career advice. In hindsight, would you maybe do things differently? Do you think you know, that's the approach that new engineers should be taking, sort of having maybe a rotational program that allows them to go a little bit more in the field, 
maybe doing like a trade before diving into college? Like, what is your perspective on that side? Well, yeah. I know I never ever regretted having trade experience. That's always been a benefit in my career. And it, it's hard to kind of leverage that with like traditional college, system, you know, education. But like, my, like, I think that if there's a way someone can get exposure to it, even if they're doing like summers in a construction program, that's probably one of the would be a great way is if there's a, a good electrical company out there that wants to, you know, take college kids that are in EET majors or or any of the CEMs or any any of the engineering majors. And, you know, you're going to get a bright kids and they're just looking for some summer work. Man, that's some great experience for you to get on, on your resume and, and for your career to help booster it up. Yeah, and I'll, I'll echo that. Absolutely. I'll probably touch on that again when we get back to career advice, but that's actually a, a note I had made, you know, get your hands in there, get your hands on the applications. It's one thing to, to read bullet points in a technical data sheet and you think you understand it. It's another to understand why those ratings or why that application note exists in the first place. I, I wouldn't trade any of that, that hands-on background or even my time in our tech service department, you know, learning the applications from the product support side. I wouldn't trade that at all. It's been indispensable in my career for sure awesome I, I think that's definitely the right approach you know to, to move us into energy monitoring slash sustainability so i think that you know there's been a conversation around this topic over maybe the last decade maybe two decades but i think that now more so than ever we're trying to invest more resources we're having i want to say like newer technologies aimed at making this not necessarily easier, but I want to say like we can get quicker wins when it comes to, first of all, monitoring the data, but also taking action on the data and seeing results. What are your thoughts around what is driving maybe a, I want to say like an increased need to reduce our footprint to, again, like leverage data to uh, change what we're doing in order to become more sustainable? Any Any thoughts around that? Yeah. Russ? Yeah, I'll go. Because, I mean, this is something that I've been doing energy monitoring for, gosh, you know, a long time, more than 10 years and in, in building automation systems. And but never, never to the degree or the, the resolution that we're, you know, we're seeing it being pushed now before, you know, it was kind of common to at the point of entry or, point, you know, your point of your electrical entry point to be monitoring your, your main systems or your buildings at maybe just a building level. And a lot of that was because there wasn't as much resolution from the data that you would get from your utility. You know, utility data was, was everything was still pretty old. I know, in, I know, at least in Pennsylvania, you know, we still had analog meters spinning dials up until a few years ago in a lot of the rural rural areas. So, you know, that that's relatively new to be looking at your electrical bill from your utility and, and get nice monthly year over year data. Where before that's kind of like if you wanted that, you had to install your own power monitoring at your point of entry and then you know, take care of the data collection and reporting yourself. But what I think is driving it is the the push to a more driven society where the energy costs are going up, but we're also pushing to use more electric. And I think our cost per kilowatt hour is going to raise, you know, over overall, it's going to increase. We're seeing an increase when we have energy dependencies across the, the whole globe. And so we know that's going to be driving. And now we're going to be a lot more particular about, okay, where are we spending all these kilowatt hours across our facilities? And especially across our manufacturing, where we're, you know, we use quite a bit of energy. And I think that's what's driving this higher resolution of, of energy monitoring across the industry. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think 
a quote that comes to mind often for me is, is Peter Drucker. If you can't monitor it, you can't manage it. If you can't manage it, you lose money, right? So that's a big part of it. And the accessibility to lower cost measuring devices, for lack of a better term, a catch-all, an IIoT device, right? Something that is smart, has connectivity, can measure a lot of data points and the subsequent analytics systems and cloud systems that we have that are automating the parsing of this data and calling attention to insights that, you know, historically you kind of have to bumble upon. There's real ROIs there. I have lots of application stories where, you know, a $75 or $100 device, first time it catches a problem is saving hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of dollars. And there's there's really been an awareness of that, especially I think in a very tough competitive labor market, a very tough manufacturing supply chain environment, we're being asked to do more with less, more so than ever. And we're not going to get there doing it the same old way. So I think there's there's really a, a shift of mind towards this idea of monitoring and data. I like that comment. Let me ask one last question before I let Dave jump in. But the last comment, you know, on detecting the the problem or the problems or maybe recommending solutions. And there's certainly not a lack of AI tools that are popping up right now, as you, as all of you know. But I'm wondering, like in the energy monitoring space and sort of parsing the data that you can collect, like the raw data that you can collect with, let's say, meters at the plant level, maybe at the line or asset level, are you seeing an increased, or are you seeing applications that can almost predictively sort of siphon out that data and tell you, like, well, I know you can correct the power factor by this much, and that will yield this many dollars or you can maybe rebalance your loads like are you seeing tools that are sort of making those decisions easier or you think there's still a lot of room to grow in in that space i think we're seeing the early stages of of that high-end kind of logic there's room to grow for sure let's be clear but like demand management is is something i think of it's becoming easier to understand right you know sequencing of loads looking at inrush currents and you know kind of structuring your system in such a way that we can more readily balance our demand power factor insights of course something that's also interesting is is energy audits and looking at parallel pieces of equipment for example if one's using 10 percent more energy than the other what's the case what's wearing out mm -hmm. uh, and certainly trending of this stuff over time that predictive maintenance or just-in-time maintenance aspect that's quite huge as well so Lots of examples there, as Russ was mentioning before we got started, I attended the AHR, HVAC show just a few weeks ago. And one company there was offering like predictive maintenance on something as simple as the belt on an air handler, just by looking at the power consumption of the motor, they can detect as that belt starts to fail and recommend a maintenance event before a tenant goes without ventilation, for example. So lots and lots of stuff like that happening. Yeah, I have to. And agree. they can know it's the belt versus the motor. So, sorry, sorry to interrupt, Russ. Oh yeah. Oh no, that. Go on, go on. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, it's maybe not necessarily always that granular, Vlad. To be clear, but if you know down to a single motor and belt drive, it's pretty easy to get that out there and investigate it and catch it before it sure. fails. We have applications where customers are doing this for like anode monitoring in a plating operation, mm -hmm. uh, UV light monitoring for like curing ovens and manufacturing spaces and things like that. There's a lot of stuff you can detect just by looking at power and current flow might get you in the ballpark. And if that gets you that much closer, that's money saved and downtime avoided. Gotcha. Russ, 
Yeah, well, I was going to agree with Clinton on where, where he's coming from. The there there is some, but I think there's a a huge opening for applications for taking this data right right now. Like we're we're in an early stage where there's some early early front runners that are starting to put some things together and leveraging artificial intelligence, machine learning type algorithms to to review this like bulk and wealth. There's a lot of data there to to analyze, but. With proper, you know, visualization and, and, and software analysis, you can kind of come up with some of these things on a, on a large scale too. So there, there's a lot of possibility in application, and I'm not seeing a lot. It's definitely room in the market for that. And I, I think there's also room in other applications where maybe we take that heavy computational, you know, analysis and move it towards the edge with like some, you know, like control or edge-based machine learning, where if you want to bring that faster response, you have that, you know, in your IIoT infrastructure near where your equipment, where you're utilizing it and detecting it. So there's, there's a lot of room there, I think, to grow. Absolutely. Let, let me ask kind of a, a follow-up question to, to the, on that point application. And then I want to talk about what you guys are doing at the facility in, in Harrisburg. So Clint, kind of your simple application, right? I, I would call it a point application. I guess two parts, both both to you and, and then then to Russ is is first, do you see lots of people saying, yes, I'm willing to spend X dollars a month to go purchase this and have it at this point application? One, are you seeing lots of people saying yes to point applications? And two, do you imagine that that's going to be the future, lots of point applications? Or do you imagine that someone is going to come in and gobble up a lot of these or it all gets fed back into a central controller edge device like Russ was describing? Yeah, that's a great question. So we'll break it down by two parts, I guess. The first part of that, I would say it's often being driven by somebody that's been burnt, right? So the end user of the equipment, they've had a failure, they had an issue, that's or they have a financial incentive from a management team within their facility. What we've not seen so far is wide-scale adoption by the OEMs, so the people making equipment and shipping it. It's if you're in, if you've been in automation or electrical business for a long time, we we liken it to selling surge protection, right? You don't need it till you need it, and then you yep. really need it. So when you have an OEM that has a consistent problem, they say, "Ah, oh, you know what? If we monitor this, we can avoid this this pain point for our customers and ultimately produce a better machine." But that is, I would say, a little bit more rare than the end customer a facility, just like Phoenix Contacts, for example that has a known issue, known problem, and they're implementing that that type of point monitoring. There's been a shift in mindset though. I think it's, it's certainly changing. And then there's other factors at play that we haven't arrived at yet that we're seeing play out in Europe, for example, where there's mandatory monitoring by government agencies. You know, that type of legislation certainly impacts investment in this type of equipment and by extension, the advancement of the market. Absolutely. Russ, what are you, what are your thoughts? I, I guess I know that you guys are building and leveraging a lot of these. Are, are you guys purchasing or, or looking to purchase kind of point applications? Or are you guys as Phoenix Contact kind of as a whole and as a U.S. specifically looking to leverage things that you are building so it's your own IP and you can continue to roll that out indefinitely? Yeah, so I kind of get to come at it from a different perspective than Clinton. You know, I'm coming at it as a customer our, to ourselves, and but I'm, I'm a lot like our traditional customers that, that our sales and marketing team talks to and, and, and finds solutions for. And but also in assisting like our, our overall, I, I don't have just myself on every on every project. Sometimes I'm working with teams on our global global level that we're working on solutions that 
the software maybe worked, maybe built up from a team in Germany and we're implementing an infrastructure here to utilize that software that another team has already put in put the time into. And, and that's kind of what we are, we are experiencing here because there's a, there's a wealth of, with anyone with the department to do so, and you don't have to have a large software development part, department to get some really useful software together to gather this data, put it together, and then even start to analyze it on a, a rudimentary level. And, and, and that's exactly how we're kind of tackling it here. But I think how Phoenix is, is trying to approach this is that we're trying to do the, the hard fumbly work first and get through it so that we can hand that over to our customers and say, hey, listen, this is how we did it and how we had success with it. We've, and we've done it in our own facilities in multiple countries and it's worked all across the globe. Here you can buy our products and then run with it or or you can have us help you with it. And, and we have a solutions department that can handle you know helping you through that process too. So I think that's what, what ultimately we're getting out of it besides just our own value for our, for our internal applications. We're also gonna be able to like kind of like blaze that trail ahead of time and, and help our customers get to that same place. Absolutely. I, I think that that is fantastic. And if I were in your position, that, that, that is absolutely something that, that I hope that we would have the forethought to do is to to blaze the path. And th those are the best use cases, right? If someone says, hey, Clint, I'd, I'd love to purchase this application from you, but I really want to see it in use. You can go out to, to one of the, the shiniest facilities that I've ever been to, both <laughs> from the solar and from the glass in and of itself. And, and go see the applications in use. So talking about those applications, Russ, can you kind of walk us through what, what you guys are doing at the facility, right? And, and to, to, to kind of expand upon that to briefly, if you will, there, there's lots of talk of, hey, do we try to monitor everything all at once? Or do we try to capture a particular line? And, and maybe then we could replicate line over line over line. Or do we try to capture the largest consumers or theoretical theoretical consumers of energy and start there. There are innumerable ways to do it. We could probably list 50 of them here, but, but what, how have you guys decided to, to go about doing this monitoring? Yeah. Well, and Dave, you, you have a good you know, feel for how that would logically take place. And, and I think you touched on it already. There was a couple different subcommittees that kind of had parallel processes that end up kind of merging together at Phoenix contact into like a solution. And, um, it started off sort of like a, our walk the talk subcommittee started to come up with this idea to, to do the energy monitoring on large power hungry devices in the, in the facility first. And, and those are kind of what we set our sights on as let's, let's start to get some information on these. And the idea around the large consumers is they're, they're, they're heavy manufacturing equipment that does consume large amounts of power when running. But a lot of this, these devices, it, whether, whether automated separately or internally, they have maybe power savings modes. And, and so by monitoring this, we're hoping to determine, are we are we utilizing power saving modes on equipment so that when it's not actively functioning, can we can we reduce our power envelope on, on some large device? One of them was a wave soldering machine, you know, that, you know, has to heat up. It doesn't have to stay at solder temperature all the time. And it does have its own fallback. But so we're, we're going to take that like on a stage two and look at that information and say okay now can we can we automate this can we tell it hey now you now you need to go into a low energy mode if it's not already doing so and at that level so yeah those are your first immediate ones and and then we're looking at it 
on the manufacturing side as what mostly were. I, I come from the building automation side where we're looking at utility more metering of, the, of where where is our power throughout the facility. But on the manufacturing side, there's a whole lot more data points that are, are used in different ways that are going to be for cost effective utilization of equipment and things like that. So that you're right. The large ones are where we started with, and we, we came up with a solution that where we were going to power monitor at a point of power for those specific, you know, large power whenever possible. And then some, some lines where we don't have a single point of power, you know, we may end up going with multiple power meters or multiple current transformer solution where we, we monitor those. Absolutely. I, I like that. I like that. And let me ask kind of a specific follow-up question to Russ and then absolutely get kind of Clint's feelings on this. There has been lots of talk in the earlier conversations about conveyors, right? And the fact that conveyors are always running. And there is there, there are questions as to could we idle conveyors or could we, in theory, stop conveyors? And would that actually save us significant amounts of money? I guess, assuming that there'll be pain on the, the, the theoretical shutdown and pain on the theoretical startup. Is, is that something that you guys are currently looking at and doing within the Phoenix Contact facility, Russ? Not yet. Right now, right now, the conveyor system is a is a very complicated vendor system, and so I, I have seen it. It is very complicated. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I'm well familiar. We have we have a big team of technicians in the facility that keep that thing, you know, oiled and running and repaired. And uh, honestly, inserting that kind of stuff into that into that system at the moment with this with it is it's kind of a there be so many data points, so many meters to bring in on that. It's it's almost overwhelming as the system is already very, very complex as it is. Absolutely. And then, then for, for people who haven't been there, which is, I assume, almost everyone listening and watching, th there, are, there are a number of different kind of racks and, and I think five or eight different tiers high in all of them. And, and it's a lot of, it's a lot of pick in place in order to go get the, the very particular items that, that you are looking for. I don't know if I was allowed to take a picture of it while I was in there. I don't have a picture off, off the top of my, my fingers, which is obviously a miss for me. I think it's allowed. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's hidden. Yes. You, no, no, no. You, you have to be badged in and walked in onto the floor in, in order to, in order to go do that. It was, it was the largest set of series of, you know, eight or 10 conveyor tall systems that I have ever seen in person, which is saying something. So, so it is, it is gigantic. I probably gave three people a heart attack just asking if we are considering monitoring power and idling on that. Clint, I, I'd love to get kind of your thoughts on feedback on what's going, maybe what you guys have seen that is valuable when you're going and talking to other end users. Yeah, sure. So, you know, Russ highlighted, you know, kind of a, a path to what equipment do we monitor and why. And I think certainly from a cost perspective, that makes a lot of sense, right? But one aspect that I, I would specifically highlight is how mission critical is this system? How bad is a failure? What is the chain reaction effect of that? And that's kind of been the approach, at least from the OEM side of layering in this monitoring. It's not just a cost thing, but also knowing the unspoken cost of downtime, right? It comes back to an idea of just-in-time maintenance. You know, there's there's really two maintenance models in the world prior to data-driven maintenance, and that's preventive maintenance, and that's just indiscriminate replacing of components after X amount of hours of runtime, and then there's run-to-fail, which realistically is what most people do, and they're both kind of wasteful. So it's, it's really finding a sweet spot, though, of 
what does it cost to operate this equipment? Are there ways to optimize it, right? It's some some systems, well, they can't really be optimized. The pump's on or pump's off, for example. Mm-hmm. Or it could be. You could have a, a variable flow pump that has a variable frequency drive attached to it. And then, of course, there's there's the reliability aspects. You know, if if this heater fails and this product fails within the machine, you know, or hardens or whatever, how much is the downtime to correct that? Hey, if this light burns out during the manufacturing process and we don't catch this UV curing step that was missed until quality control gets it and we have to scrap the whole batch, you know, that's very costly in that type of scenario. So I think there's there's two different paths to really go down in the end though the result is it saves money and that's that's what really pushes people to make these types of investments yeah i want to throw in there too this is something that I, you know i'm saying is is difficult from a customer standpoint right so for us to go in there to this a vendor that delivers this system to, for us to go into their system and 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 try to do the work it is a little bit like you know dissecting this product so it's it's complexity is, is really big but for that vendor to add the additional value of, of a power monitoring of those, it, it would be a great idea. And it, it wouldn't, it doesn't have to be at a utility grade accuracy level, you know, a, a general grade accuracy level where you're, you know, you're either taking small measurements or not accurate measurements, but they're, they're close to give a trend if, and if not some very close, some very close data, if not as accurate as like, you know, utility grade would be, that would be very valuable. Yeah, and it's a great point, Russ. Sorry to jump in there again, Dave, but you know, a lot of the equipment that we offer as a as a manufacturer, of course, we're always excited to talk about our highest tech and our, our latest and greatest products. But some of our best sellers in the in the energy monitoring realm are simple things like current transducers and monitoring relays. Okay. So very basic devices. You're gonna get a four to twenty milliamp signal for current or with the monitoring relay. Hey, is the voltage between, I don't know, four forty and five hundred volts to this motor? great. If it's outside of that, let's let's turn this motor off to protect it from brownout, for example. And those types of solutions, they don't always have to be super complex. There's a lot of value in monitoring lower aspects and lower amounts of data in the subsystems and components as well. And I really like the example, I think, Russ, you mentioned it with the soldering machine, or maybe it was Clint, right? Like the soldering Wait, machine soldering that has too. this idle mode. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and, and I think it's all, almost like closing the loop, right? So it has a feature that allows you to ultimately save energy, but whether or not it's actually utilizing that feature is yet to be proven, right? So you can use a monitoring tool to sort of close the feedback loop and see the actual cycles, right? When it is being put in action. And again, it could be, you know, outputting some products. So obviously you want it at the right temperature, but when it's not outputting product, you want it to be like shut down within a certain maybe amount of time or you know, based on a delay or idle signal. So I think it's it becomes very important to implement those in a number of cases, right, on the manufacturing floor, because I think that in many instances, you can issue an action of saying, hey, we're going to shut down, let's say, these conveyors, we're going to program them so that they actually are taken down, but you don't have that feedback of what actually happens on the production floor. And so it becomes very difficult to say, right, like if if it actually takes place. So I really like that example. Yeah, and you don't have to do a, a lot of additional IO monitoring to be able to pull in just the energy and see see from the current and power curve what, what's happening with that unit, you know? Whereas some of these older machines and, and a lot of these machines, you know, you don't upgrade unless, you know, you, you in manufacturing, you don't replace them, right? Once you get them work up and running. You 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 keep that you keep that one running, but they sometimes they don't have the ability to export that data, you know. So you don't you don't know 
from that from that device, whether or not it's, it's jumping into a low power mode. But at least you'll be able to see it on the energy side of it. So it's relatively easy to bring those into your building automation network. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I would say that's the beauty of data, right? It can be as simple as can be, but it can also be, again, like correlated back to your ERP systems, MES data, right? So that you can draw very advanced like conclusions and analytics, right? So yeah. I think that the possibility, the possibility is certainly there, but as you mentioned, it can also be overwhelming if you're trying to sort of kind of take the whole problem and tackle it from all angles. So I would certainly typically see monitoring, you know, at the very high level side first, then maybe splitting down by lines and then figuring out if we can do it by asset. But again, it, it really depends, I think, in my mind on the application, but I also like the point of understanding what the costs or, or the risks might be before we proceed that Clint has mentioned. Dave? Absolutely. So I know Clint kind of, you mentioned a couple of things on relays on current transmitters. I guess I'd like to hear from Russ, what you guys are using in the facility, and then maybe a little bit more for, from Clint as to what the rest of that range looks like, right? So current transducers current, or current transmitters and, and relays, absolutely super simple. Is that what you guys are using for most of it? I know kind of on the top end, we talked about super smart, you know, call the utility, get smart meters either at the facility or maybe at, at sublines. But, but Clint, I guess, Russ, what are you guys using at the facility? And then Clint, maybe if you can help us expand upon what what that ecosystem looks like. Sure. We have a couple levels, you know, that we record the power data at our primarily my, my main focus is going to be on the utility side and where our power distribution happens throughout our facility. So at, at key distribution panels at our main points of entry for the for electrical energy, we're going to use like an like a, a all-in-one solution meter, kind of like our EM pros, mm -hmm. uh, where we have, we have a power meter where you simply have to wire in the current transmitters and the power source to it. And, and it does your power calculations, all your harmonics, all of your, all the data you want to see about your electrical energy at that point where you're metering. And usually we're going to go with those and we're going to wire those into our, our building automation network and, and pull that data and bring it in routinely so that we have years of, of data collected on, on a particular point. Helps us identify where the power is going in our facility, helps us diagnose, you know, electric, high electric consumptions if we're something that's, you know, overly, over high consumptions, but it's not very granular. It's it's very, it's very rough. You, you were talking approximately just a, a few meters or a few data points for you know the entire facility we're talking our points of entry our, our substation distribution and on in, and on very heavy load center areas where we have metering installed but all the circuits below that are, are you know it's your, your guess is as good as mine you're gonna have to go off to it with a, a fluke meter and clamp onto yeah. it and figure out what the current draw is that's one aspect and then the other second side of that is on the building automation side the building automation side we are using not PLCs, but we're using TDC controllers, you know, a little bit less expensive. The, the processing speed, you know, is not quite as time intensive. It's not real time. We, we have the ability because we don't need real time processes, we can slow down. So on building automation controllers, we're using just exactly what Clint was talking about for fan monitoring on our air handling units and HVAC equipment. We're using just a four to 20 milliamp, you know, current transformer mm -hmm. and we're assuming voltage is at the delivered voltage, you know, so you're going to make that assumption plus or minus 10%. So you're, you're not going to, you're going to get off some accuracy, but for the cost of simplicity. And then, so you, you, but you could still grab a trend of that current on that particular fan or motor. And if you get a nice baseline 
you can start to see that trend build up over the over like the loading up of that motor over time and and you can you can look at failed you know predictive maintenance on, on that device i kind of like clinton's idea i might start utilizing that with the belt thing <laughs> <That's> actually, <laughs> we're, we're not you know we're not detecting that belt and, and this might be something that where you know the ddc controls may not be strong enough to pull off the types of mathematical comparison and calculation needed to detect the belt issue you know, that could be something that we take that data and export it to an external source, cloud source or internal edge source to do that kind of calculation. But we replace our, our belts and, and our, our facility maintenance on a regular schedule. Uh, like I said, we don't, we don't run it to failure. We, we want to stay in operation. So we have a plan. But just because we plan to do it at a routine time period doesn't mean there's not wear left in those belts. So, mm-hmm. you know, we, we could extend that in areas, but I would, I wouldn't do it unless we had, you know, the data to back it up. So if we had information and, 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 and consumption data. So say this, we're replacing this belt on a quarterly basis, but this thing's still looking good for six or eight months. You know, we might be able to adjust those, you know, those timeframes. I'm not sorry to interject. I'm not familiar with DDC controllers. Just okay. to elaborate, that's a, that's a building automation. Yeah, direct, direct digital control. Yeah, yes. Gotcha. Yeah, you, you've been spoiled. You spent your whole life in the industrial, you know, complex. Yeah. In building automation, <laughs> there's a, there's a lot of parallels, right? Building automation is, is automation, but it, on a different scale. And because of the scale, the economy has to be taken into consideration mm-hmm. in, in the design and, and manufacture of these units. So you typically have our own. Not that you could not use a PLC for everything, but it, it is, you know, it is like trying using a sledgehammer to, you know, mount a, a picture on the wall sometimes, right? You, it has a lot more power where the process under, under control is temperature based and a large volume of space. So you don't actually need to pull that temperature sensor, you know, 50 times a second, you know, it doesn't, it's not going to change <laughs> from the, the first time to the second time. In, in fact, it's going to take minutes for that thing to change. So you can use, you can use, you know, in the design of the electronics, you could use a cheaper microprocessor, microcontroller to to, to do that, gotcha. and you don't have to have as much as much cycling. So you don't need real time operation. Whereas I saw some chat. There's a I think Dave's Dave looks like he's one of those guys. He's actually worked in a bottling facility, and you know you you how if you don't if you have that kind of processing power, there's no way you can pull a proximity sensor and pick up as many bottles that are flying through there. You know, imagine trying to do that. Yeah. With, was something that didn't have the power to pull the sensor even fast enough. So you give up that processing power in DDC controls, but, but mm-hmm. for the number for economy and for distribution. Absolutely. Yeah. I guess I'll do some reading. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. Vlad has enough PLCs, Ross. He doesn't need any more controllers behind him. I like to joke <laughs> with everyone. Vlad has to step over PLCs because he didn't build a wall-mounted rack large enough the first time yeah. in order to go fit all of them. So, so Vlad does not need any more controllers. Vlad, let's just wipe the last 60 seconds of, of this conversation out of your brain. You do not need any more controllers. I, I will say, Russ, that I think if you want to go look at belts, maybe some sort of vibration sensor in addition to that power it is probably where I would go. That would certainly help us understand, especially through time, as to if it's the belt or if it's the motor or if it's the bearing or any of those things. But at the end of the day, belts are relatively cheap in comparison to downtime. Yes, belts are relatively cheap in comparison to downtime. And I see Zach is in the comments and Zach is saying Vlad needs more. Zach, I'm just going to say, I bet if you had an extra 1,200 PLC nexts, Russ would go find a way to use them at your facility. So, Totally. 
Yes, yes. Uh, I, I didn't say you couldn't use a PLC to run, run you know, building automation. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you're just saying those oh, PLC yeah. Next guys are are very, very tight-fisted with with what they have and what they give out. So I am absolutely excited to talk more about this. I want to talk more about different ways we can go monitor some of this power. But first, we've got some people to thank. So we want to thank Phoenix Contact for sponsoring this theme and all of their support. And this week we and this month, we're talking about the All-Electric Society. The All-Electric Society is revolutionizing how businesses operate by bringing the power of industrial automation to the world. Phoenix Contact is consistently innovating, reliable and cost-effective products to streamline production processes and increase efficiency. With AES, businesses can take advantage of high-speed automated production lines and more efficiency or more efficient energy management systems which can drastically reduce overhead costs and improve overall productivity. Our solutions also enable businesses to better meet customer demands and to keep up with the competition. The All Electric Society is transforming businesses and driving the future of automation. Open control platforms such as PLC Next Technology combine the two worlds of information technology IT and operational technology OT with the promise of a with the promise a future of data-driven responsibility. PLC Next can access machine analytics remotely and securely, making your business more sustainable. Whether viewed remotely through the cloud dashboard or on-prem at Machines HMI, PLC Next can help you find insights that can make your factory more eco-friendly and efficient. Unlock a sustainable future with data-driven insights. Harness your existing analytics to elevate your business and propel your plant into the future with secure, safe, and sustainable remote access and monitoring transform data into actionable insights and maximize your data for better decisions and eco-efficiency. Again, we want to thank Phoenix Contact for sponsoring this theme and all of our conversations around data-driven sustainability. If you guys have any questions, you guys can go check out phoenixcontact.com and you guys can go check out the all-electric society within Phoenix Contact. They've got a bunch of great information. I think most of that information is going to drive you to talk to folks like Clint and Russ who have all of that hands-on experience with that. So I, I want to kind of transition over to this. Again, we, we've talked about a lot of products. We may have just sold Vlad on more controllers, which again, doesn't have any room on his wall. So thank you for that help, Russ. Everyone in, everyone in this conversation actually absolutely appreciates it. Be careful building automation, folks. In about six months, there'll be no more DDCs available because Vlad will have purchased all of them. And then the DDCs will be in the exact same places as the PLCs. But, but Russ, yeah. kind of moving or I'm sorry, Clint, kind of moving forward with that, what sort of other system solutions are you seeing and are you helping end users get in to, 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 to monitor and then also leverage the insights on the energy side? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think when we start to get a little bit more granular about the equipment and, and where to go, how to select it, we really start to look at, not as I mentioned earlier, not only the criticality or, or the expense of operating it, but the type of load too, right? So we don't necessarily need to throw a full energy meter with onboard logging and all kinds of crazy th stuff happening at a say heat trace on a, on a piece of equipment that manufactures chocolate. We know if the heat trace is working, it's five amps of current. If it burns out, it's zero amps. And we wanna purge the machine instead of letting the chocolate harden in the line until maintenance can replace that. Yeah, That's a very simple solution. So when we talk about like heaters, like injection molding, that's another big one. Seeing if a contactor welded itself on, for example, or is not making connection and you're not getting enough heat in the application. We've done a lot of transducers and relays in that realm. 
But what I think is really most interesting is motors. When we come back to motors, AC motors, if you've been around them, you'll know some interesting things through the magic of, of let's say, <laughs> electron, electromagnets. They are nonlinear machines when you measure the current, right? So when you look at the curve of an electric motor, it's, it's kind of flat. And then as the load increases, it exponentially increases right at the end of its, of its range of operation. And so historically, we see a lot of customers buying just a current transducer to measure that motor to try to get an idea of what's happening to the connected shaft. But what nobody tells you is the power of that motor is actually perfectly linear, right? Power and watts, that's where the rubber meets the road. So the amount of work that's done. And to do that, you need, you know, a one-to-one -one transfer minus some efficiencies of the, of the electric motor. So what we've seen is the deployment of something like what we call our electronic motor manager, where you can set up thresholds based on the power of the motor. Mm -hmm. So we're not measuring just current, but current and voltage and doing a power calculation from there. So if you if you like me and maybe like a little beer, <laughs> we have one customer, <laughs> mainly whiskey, but I, I can drink a, a good German beer for sure. But we have two customers now in the US that are using this motor manager to monitor their, their filter presses. Because as that filter media becomes more clogged, the watts that you need to push the beer through the, the filter media increases. We have another customer using the same product to do the separation of oil and water in a recycling process. When the viscosity, the fluid changes, they can detect very quickly, oh, we need to change the diverter valve to the oil tank or the water tank based on what's happening on the shaft of the motor. And then we're, we're stepping into the cloud analytics space ourselves. So some early pilot projects with that already being quite interesting, going back to the, the smart buildings and sustainability side of it, especially. So monitoring solar production in the facilities, looking at the consumption of electric vehicle chargers. If you're an owner of commercial real estate and you have multiple tenants in one building, knowing what each tenant's using, potentially billing them for their own sub usage. And even within our own manufacturing space, there's been some talk of segregating the cost of, of lines. So you can bill each department for the energy consumption of the machines they use in their manufacturing process. So yeah, there's, there's a ton of really interesting applications from what I'll call reliability, accountability, and efficiency or optimization across the spectrum. Well, I think we're going to bill them yet, you know, but we were talking about it. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah. Maybe tomorrow. It's, well, so maybe, they, tomorrow. maybe tomorrow. If you think about it, like part of their budget, you know, their, their, for their operation is based on their energy usage of the, of the machinery in their, their department. So right now, if you, you're doing a calculated estimation of what that energy usage is, and so if you actually do meter it, you can then actually build them directly for what that each device, you know, and then think of it if, if you get across all all the major devices on the manufacturing floor, whoever's ahead of manufacturing in that department or that product line, you're actually giving them real time costs. And so not only is it nice for like to be more accurate in accounting, but how about incentivizing our manufacturing managers to reduce their power usage for our products? So they actually get billed less. They they get they get to be more uh, more positive in their on their production. Absolutely. And I'd like to, to throw an application in there. I know that we've got a, a handful of folks in who listen regularly in oil and gas. I have seen a number of times, especially on pipelines at the stations, we've got big motors, right? We've got big pumps. And I have worked with a number of groups who have kind of gone, gone through and look at power curves. And if you're in that sweet spot, it's all good. If you're a couple of percent out of that sweet spot, you're talking potentially millions of dollars of extra power every day. 
as to as as to that. So being in the sweet spot, I think I guess my imagination is that for large and maybe down to medium-sized pumps, we will certainly see that in the future. But and that is super low-hanging fruit for so many large groups. But it's one of those if you don't have the understanding of the belief that we can go save money doing this, we're not going to invest the, the tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars to, to go measure this and to go understand what the pump curves are supposed to look like. And then to go make sure that we are in the process of making sure that we're in those pump curves, right? I would say 95% of the time it's, oh, the operator who has hopefully been there longer than, I don't know, three weeks knows where it should be. And so we're just going to trust the operator who, again, has hopefully been there an extended period of time. But but that is certainly moving away from it. That, that, that is certainly moving away from it. So kind of on that path, I know we talked about some solar applications. You guys at Phoenix Contact USA have, have a bunch of solar on the roof. I, I think when we talked to, I think when we talked to Dave Eifert a couple of episodes ago, he was saying, is it that the U.S. facility is something like 75, 80% self-sufficient now? Is that a big push that you guys are seeing internally? And part of the reason that you guys are doing the, the power monitoring in order to, to make sure that you can move towards that completely sustainable future? Well, I think we're definitely moving in that direction to have renewable energy. Well, we've, we've obviously put our money where our mouth is with our solar array. We have about almost a megawatt solar array on the roof of our wow. logistics center. It's 960 kilowatts. Wow. So it's, it's a, it's not just a little investment. We put a really big investment into that and we're, you know, we're using all of that energy in our facility pretty much being used up because we still are our facility load is, is greater than what our, our solar production is as well as our cchp plant production so we we're using all of it but uh, you know we're, we're we're investing in it and then i i can say you know without hesitation we're looking at other opportunities and, and investments to to, to complement that we haven't we haven't said what we're going to do next, but we're we, we've cast a net wide to see what kind of opportunities and, and technologies are there to help. And maybe maybe it'll be more solar, maybe it'll be another technology. But we're definitely heading in that direction. And I think at some point, yeah, greater than two thousand solar panels. I'm seeing in chat, yeah, two thousand one hundred and eighty five. I've given the tour a few times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i'll add to, to russ's uh, comments on the u.s but this is not just a u.s story of course for phoenix contact our headquarters in blumberg germany we're working on basically an all-electric campus right there you know for everything from ev to takes and even some advanced topics like high voltage dc buildings which is uh, concept by the way we don't have necessarily time to dive in some experiments about converting the primary grid of a building all to dc so you can put your you know solar power directly on it regen from your variable frequency drives can be put back into the local bus you know so we're really looking not just at what we can do today with traditional traditional renewables but how can we actually change the entire system to really capitalize on this all electric society and, and move forward with the efficiencies that come with that Absolutely. I think that's interesting. I, I will agree with Clint. Fully running everything on DC is a not a conversation that can be had in an hour. I've spent a lot of time <laughs> in RVs and, and, and building 12 volt systems and running solar panels and things like that. And it, it is it is certainly fascinating to say, hey, can I run everything on 48 volts DC or 96 volts DC or, or something along those ways? It gets very complicated and potentially very expensive very quickly. But there, there are absolutely some interesting ways and thought process to 
process is to go do it. And if you're capturing in VDC, then maybe we should use it in in VDC. No, absolutely. What are your thoughts? So we have actually yet to convince Vlad to, to fill the top of his roof with solar panels. That's what we tried to do last week or a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but but <laughs> what are your thoughts? Maybe not on solar panels, but but on the energy monitoring side, Vlad. Yeah, so I, I think, Dave, you actually made a really good point in your previous statement, which was educating the end customers about new technology, right, and ways it can be used to not only monitor, but ultimately find ways to optimize their process. So my question, you know, for, for Clinton, Russ would be, what is sort of when you approach maybe customers or when you work again, like for Phoenix, what is your, most of your time spent, right? Is it implementing the solution or finding ways to maybe, again, explain the potential benefits to the customers? And I'm curious, again, what, what do those conversations look like? Where, what are the sort of the aha moments that occur when you explain to them what's possible. Clint? Yeah, I can give you I can give you the marketing side or the the sales approach if you will. And Russ certainly mm-hmm. will have some some practical to back me up, but for me it's it's telling, right? So I like to say voltage current power, they're in every single electrical system around the world. Those are your the vital signs of your system. Buying those, making it available as a data point and then acting upon them is it's a huge cost savings advantage not just from operational expenses but as we mentioned the theme of downtime and preventing that as well eliminating the predictive maintenance model so generally when i'm giving a training on energy monitoring it is so little about the products and way more about the stories the application stories all the interesting ways i've seen customers apply this technology that's when you see that aha moment you know we can say yeah use renewables, it saves you a lot of money. Hey, you know, if you turn off a light bulb, (coughs) when you're not using it, you're going to save energy. Right. But give me some, some meat and potatoes. How does this actually apply? So yeah, for me, that's, that's kind of the commercial answer. If you will, we, we have to tell stories to get customers to, to kind of see that where the ROI would be for them, but you know, it, it adds up very quickly. And I wish we had more time because I tell a lot of stories, <laughs> application stories. Russ? But, yeah. Well, most a lot of my time is spent is is in the application of it and, and, and putting these systems in and getting them ready. I'm almost looking for like more challenge of people to show me what we can do with this data in ways, right? I'm looking for opportunities to 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 take actions based on it. And, and I think coming in the future, it, it just there's growth here, and and that's going to happen. And like this, what we're doing with energy monitoring in the manufacturing floor is going to be what's part of like what you guys have talked about industry like 4.0. What, how do we make our factories smarter and more intelligent? And energy monitoring is definitely a huge part of that to where, you know, in the future, we're going to be making decisions for our manufacturing runs, not just based on a sales or, you know, a purchase, but it's also going to be when we schedule those runs is going to be based on when energy is available. And especially as our utility costs go up for our energy kilowatt hours are increasing, we're going to be making smarter choices, but we're not just going to do it based on, we're going to do it based on real time data. And we'll be scheduling these, these manufacturing runs like a queue. And so when, when, when the sun comes out, Hey, maybe that queue kicks off, you know, (laughs) if it's a, if it's a bright day, Oh, we're making terminal blocks today, baby. (laughs) (laughs) absolutely and i I think again like i think we all know that there's peaks and there's sort of speak like valleys in demand when it comes to like the grids right and on the industrial side 
I think there's certainly savings to be driven around that. And, you know, to draw a parallel, you have the same scenario in cloud computing power, right? So there's going to be a lot of demand at specific hours and it becomes much, much cheaper at certain other hours, right? So if you're familiar with maybe that model, I think it can be very easily applied in manufacturing. I've certainly not seen it being used in that way, but I think that as, again, the, the tools become smarter, it's becoming cheaper to implement them it's going to be easier and make it easier to make those decisions right and at the end of the day it's all about putting the right information in the right people's hands to make those business decisions yeah the cost of, of those meters has gone down they're more they're much more accessible i think when we dice talked initially you know you, vlad you were saying you weren't quite familiar with like the em pro line and, and and like you know what what it was about and the single point of meter and, and the different interfaces that you could, you know, interface with that meter to the different protocols that support it. And as those come a lot more accessible, I mean, it's not that much difficult to install that on, a, you know, a manufacturing machine with a single point of power, you know, especially those machines that have a single disconnect that runs that entire machine. That's one, that's one power point that you just have to monitor right there. And you have your entire machine, you know, you don't have to try to get multiple circuits broken up. So a lot of machines are come that way. Fortunately, we're lucky. <laughs> Yeah, but the, and those are the ones that we attack first. You know, they go after them because they are they are much more simple to monitor with a simple EM pro meter and and just drop it on the network and then bring it into your larger solution. Mm -hmm. Any, I wanna oh, I wanna give you an open ended question into a very interesting maybe solution that you've seen doesn't necessarily have to be like one of your customers something you've read about that again leverages energy monitoring and an OEM or an end user has created a solution that was out of the ordinary or something that you haven't seen before. Well, I'm curious, Clint, you said you had many stories. Maybe you can share one of them again, not giving the name of the end user. Yeah, sure. So I actually have a story that's, that's very much a monitoring and, and efficiency and optimization story. So I think that fits well with the theme of how to be more sustainable. This is, I, I believe, Jack's on with us, so hopefully I don't get a, an email after the fact saying, oh, you can't talk about that. But we do have a case study. It's It's been published. It's on our website. It's available. We actually did a project with the New York City subway system. So if you don't know much about New York, the best way to get around the city is absolutely the subway. It's one of the most heavily traveled systems in the world. And they use a third rail for picking up 600 volt. DCs for the for the traction motors on the subway cars. And a good chunk of that system is actually above ground, believe it or not. There's parts of the system. And the issue comes in the winter. If you get precipitation at the right temperature, it can literally melt on top of or freeze on top of rather the, the DC third rail breaks the connection and electrical connection with the cars and the train stop. Well, <laughs> the system's on a three minute window. That, that's that's a completely unacceptable failure can cascade to literally millions of lost dollars of productivity if the train stops so forever and ever the approach was that somebody would get in a pickup truck and drive around to all the subs for these rail heaters in october and then come back out in april and turn them back off <laughs> and if you're thinking like me holy heck if you've experienced a northeast winter there's a lot of days that are above freezing, blue skies for two weeks in a row. You know, obviously ice is not a concern. So we worked on a project there. I love this story because it's not just the monitoring side, but basically using wireless radios, some temperature monitoring, and of course, power monitoring to optimize when we switch 
we didn't change anything about the rail heaters. It's the same technology that was installed in the 1920s. But by automating and monitoring that, we're talking about a cost savings sometimes of $25,000 per day when the system is wow. turning off the rail heaters. Collectively, the project has saved a New York City taxpayers like $40 million. So wow. <laughs> this is a, an awesome, awesome story. Yeah, and it's 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 simple stuff. We're monitoring the, the rail heater to make sure it turns on. We verify the operation. We monitor the ambient temperature and we use you know communications to send that information back to a central control station where they can turn us on, turn it off. So that's an awesome project. Really cool. Like I said, we have a white paper on it. Yeah. And there's, there's lots more and like I mean, it, but that one's... <laughs> before giving Russ the stage, I really love these, how to say, like scenarios or stories because, again, I've been a lot in the food and beverage sector, so I think that the applications are vastly different in other industries. And I think it always gives you maybe ideas or thoughts on how things could be done, right? By just going through this case study and understanding what the, well, I guess the failure points, first of all, were, and then how it was solved. So I think it gives you ideas for other industries as well. So I certainly appreciate that one. Russ? Yeah. So, voltage current power. Okay. It's in everything. <laughs> I'm going to have to make some t-shirts and pass them around. That's how, how it'll work. <laughs> Get some polos. I'll wear it. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Uh, so to the answer of Vlad's question, I was I was thinking about his question and a lot of the power energy monitoring that I've done, you know, for facilities is not not that exciting as far as there's not there's not a lot to be gathered from it. But but I get tasked as part of our like walk the talk subcommittee that I've talked to you about because I'm the building automation engineer and I've done a lot of power metering. So the the manufacturing power meeting metering that we talked about us performing on a few on a number of our own machines, I obviously get tasked to do that because my experience in it. And as part of that, we, we, we started moving forward in, okay, we're, we're going to power monitor our, our big uh, fenders that we talked about, like our power hungry devices first. And then, then we'll, then we'll go down into another, another stage of this and we'll start to add more and more and more devices. And the initial plan was actually to, um, to, to, to get these implemented and get the power monitoring started. And, and then we'll worry about the software side later, you know, let's, let's just get this moving, you know, as part of this, it was a committee project, right? Initially. And then halfway through this, you know, we're, we're about ready to, I'm doing, the, I've done the layout, done the panel design and, and got the meter and we're using what we were using and we're all ready to roll. And then we find, we find out from one of our directors that, hey, there's another committee from Germany that has another thing and they already have done the software side for you, for us. Yeah. And they've already implemented it on a site in Phoenix Contact in Germany. So we're, we're already going to do that in the United States. And I was like, yes. I don't have to do it. <laughs> it's already done. You know, I super, so I was like super excited, you know, like as giddy as an engineer could be. And I was like, so, and that's, that's the solution that they rolled with. So using our internal metering products, I, I was like, okay, so once I get this done, I can hand this off. And they had a, they have a simple solution using common software tools. And then it's, you know, pulls our meters with the HTML Sorry, help me. I'm, I'm starting here. The, the the HTML app that it pulls the meters with initially, and then brokers that with MQTT broker to be able to share throughout our, our internet site, so that not only is that information available to the people who want it right today, but that information can be easily. It's like basically like it's kind of like a a power plug. You know, anybody can plug into it on the data side of it. It's anyone can connect to that MQTT broker within our organization and then use that power data and start to pull that data however they want to in their own application later. Bob, I'm awesome. away, awesome. man. I was really cool. so excited when I found that. 
I, I think that those those are awesome. I think both of those are amazing stories. I think that there are many just like super simple applications. Kind of what Russ was getting with is kind of you plug it in and then then it appears right Th through the power of MQTT and a bunch of other Germans doing a lot of software programming work. It, yeah. it just appears right. Like that's amazing. I think Clint's story is amazing. I think that there are there are lots of applications that sometimes we as, as automation engineers, if you will, as controls engineers, we like to look at the, what's the hardest problem I could possibly solve as opposed to looking for, for some of the super simple ones. On, on Monday, when we were doing an energy monitoring live build, I kind of told a story about how a simple, simple point of monitoring temperature of beer during fermentation, Literally, I've seen it allows people to, to go home and sleep as opposed to sleeping next to the fermenter for a couple of weeks at a time because it's 10000 or 50000 or more dollars in a fermenter. And if we go above or below appropriate temperatures, depending upon what, what the what the batch is, we, we literally have to go dump it all and start over from scratch. And so that, that's a super simple application. Another one that we talked about is, is greenhouses. I've seen it both attempting to get hot and attempting to get cold, right? Depending upon which, which part of the world you live in. Sometimes you got to go turn on heat in order to keep everything above freezing, which in many places is very expensive to heat the, the greenhouse. And you only want to do that to, to Clint's point when you need to. And on the other side, especially as we're getting into spring and summer in some places, maybe maybe where I'm at, maybe not where I'm at. It depends upon the day of the week here in North Carolina at the moment. But I know lots of people who are like, hey, I really don't want to go like look at the temperature on my phone and say, oh, I've got to go drive to the greenhouse to open the louvers to, to go cool everything down so that we can continue to grow. So I think that there are a infinite numbers of very simple applications that can be leveraged with CTs, with, with relays, with, with all of these things. Or if we want to get more complicated, we could go throw, throw two or three sensors in there and go figure out what amounts to, to most of the facility and most of the high dollar problems that, that we come to. This, this conversation has been absolutely amazing. At some point, we're going to have to talk to Zach. I'm absolutely going to go back and make it to the Phoenix Contact Facility now that we're at least mostly over COVID and people are there and I could probably go go meet and see people. And I mean, maybe I'll sneak a camera in under the under the jacket and we get some uh, pictures <laughs> and, and video of that. But having said that, I, I do want to be respectful of everyone's time. We do want to go ask Clint and Russ the the, the, the normal wrap up questions. So let, let's start with Russ. I, I'm asking people to predict the future. As I've as I've warned everyone, it is my favorite question because it kind of makes you makes everyone look into the future but then it is also kind of super fun on my side but but russ when, when you're looking maybe at phoenix contact at the the u.s facility in general what do you imagine you guys are going to go see either as as specifically or as broadly as as you as you desire in the next i don't know three to five years for for energy monitoring i i see a lot more of it for sure I don't think that's a hard prediction at all. We're well on the way, but I see us seeing multiple more sources of power generation. We're and of course monitoring all of that, and and I think I think that's going to continue to grow to where you know we're obviously trying to be energy independent. At some point, we're going we're we're carbon neutral currently, but we want to have zero emissions eventually. And you know that's the path that we're on, and, and that's going to only be happening by being more energy independent as well. So for sure three to five years you know we're heading in that direction i think any manufacturer in the future is going to be a power generator as well um, i think it's just going to be the way it's going to head that that is amazing especially because we know that so many facilities spend huge numbers of dollars tens of thousands or or 
probably more if you guys, if a, if a facility your size were, were to pull everything from the grid, lots of money every month would go to to an energy bill. And uh, I would imagine that the, the payoff is is relatively short it with is with 1,000 or 2,135 solar panels or whatever it is on, on the top of the roof. Vlad's, Vlad's going to count them when, when I drag them there. But no, thank thank you for that, Russ. Clint, on your side, do you, I guess, based on conversations, are you seeing more manufacturers and end users of various sizes moving towards what, what you guys are doing at Phoenix Contact and, and being sustainable? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's it's kind of a no-brainer as the cost of, of a solar system has come down, so is the ROI period, right? So what used to be 10, 15-year payoff, kind of questionable if the quality is going to make it, is now a three- to five-year window on a, on a typical commercial or industrial scale type of system. And then it's all free money. I mean, free, obviously, but minimal investment, right? It's, it's almost like investment income where it's making money for you when you're sleeping. Well, not in the case of solar panels, but you, you kind of get the idea there. Yes. <laughs> I think, I think that's one aspect of it, you know, so managing costs of utility, this, this whole idea of analytics, getting more advanced artificial intelligence, you know, changing the way that we can parse large sets of data and, and the insights that we can get, is going to make it cost prohibitive not to monitor. If your competitors can keep their line running 99.5% of the time, and you're down 2% or 3% of the time mm -hmm. above that, you know, so down in the 95% availability, that's 2% a year that, that yeah. their machines are running and making money and you're not. And this comes right off your top line. But I also think there's a growing awareness of, of our impact on the planet and emissions in general. And some of the things that we're doing today are not necessarily energy conscious or energy healthy. So I think one thing that I see happening in our facility right now as we speak is is kind of dashboards showing up everywhere, showing us, you know, production soon to include energy usage, right, as, as we're collecting and, and growing this. And I think often about my first trip to our, our headquarters in Germany, where they monitor things like the elevators, and they tell you how much it costs to ride the elevator. So Ooh, interesting. Yeah. So they make you think, do you really need to ride the elevator? Maybe you should take the stairs. It's better for your health, better for the bottom line of the company and better for the planet. So I think kind of that meshing of data for a very practical use, but also data for a consciousness or societal awareness is something I see coming. Even you got to just throw it out there. I, I recently did a, a continuous glucose monitor for your blood sugar and it changes the way you eat. It changes the way you exercise and how you sleep just by being aware. And I think that's going to be a big part of the energy story as well. No, I, one, I think that's awesome Two, I, at some point will need to go to the Phoenix contact Germany facility. And I probably just going to ride the elevator up and down to, to see, to see if, <laughs> if that pricing changes, is it dynamic pricing? Is it static pricing? Knowing yeah. the Germans, I, I would imagine it, it is fairly dynamic pricing. So I think all of these are great points. I do want to point out for anyone listening, we had a awesome conversation last week, episode 104 with Becca and Ryan. We did a lot of talk about solar panels, solar, especially if you're looking to do it in a, I'll call it more personal or, or smaller scale. There are tons of great, basically barely used solar panels right off of contracts in the three to five years that, that take the cost of panels down to, I don't know, like the 30-ish dollar to $50 per panel range, which makes everything much more economical. If you're looking to do that again, we still haven't convinced Vlad to do it. And I'm not sure any of us want him climbing up in his roof at this point, 
But if you guys are, if you guys are looking at that, absolutely. Next question for you guys, we'll start with Russ is, and then go to Clint is, is some career advice, right? It's one of our most favorite questions and it's one of our most favorite questions. And I know we got a little bit from it before, and I know both of you come from the trade. So we would love your career advice. Do you, would you suggest people go into the trades and then perhaps move into more building automation or engineering or something like that? But, but Russ, what, what are your thoughts on that? I, I mean, I think I can't argue with it. I, I have a love for the trades. And I think, you know, we've seen a changing in our educational system, you know, as of late. And I think if you can, the sooner you can get exposure to this kind of trade work to get your hands on, get, to understand, I found that not only did classes in, in at college, you know, and in, in engineering school, did, did they not make more sense for me because of, of the practical experience that I had with them? It, I felt the hard part about learning some of these, you know, technical issues is that you don't have a, you don't have a reference to apply them to. And so sometimes you're, you're learning calculations and formulas for something and, you, and it's hard to give it value if you don't know what, like how it applies. And so ha having that, you know, I honestly wish people would spend, you know, six months or a year between college and high school and go out and work on a construction site, pull wire, wire, you know, wire boxes and, and all that stuff. And then then go to college, you know, that'd be great. I don't know if that'll ever come to fruition, but you know, that's some career advice to me is find a way to either do it in between or do it over the summers. I, I think that, that that is fantastic. I think that that is fantastic advice. Clint, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I totally agree. I Like I mentioned in the start of the show, I, I think my hands-on experience, my application experience has been indispensable in my career. Having that frame of reference is so important to connecting all the dots. Russ just said it perfectly. You know, you can learn a calculation in college, but what does it actually mean? What's the real world application? So one thing I'm involved with at Phoenix Contact is is mentoring sales apprentices, so engineering students that are coming to learn how to be a technical sales engineer. And that's the number one thing I tell them. Get out there, see the applications. Start watching YouTube videos about manufacturing, about cross-engineering disciplines. Learn how the world works, how these systems go together. It's easy for anybody to learn the bullet points and, and regurgitate, you know, features and benefits, but it's another if you can really connect and understand how a product's used or how something's connected or how the world works in general, I think that makes you a lot closer to the customer and it, it makes it easier for you to anticipate the challenges and their needs as well. From a perspective of hands-on versus, you know, more white collar route, honestly, I will take it a step further than Russ and say, don't necessarily consider yourself that you have to go to college. There is an extreme trade shortage right now in the U.S. You can do quite well for yourself in the trades and have a very fulfilling career doing that. So, you know, it's not always you must go to college. It's the kind of the classic metric of success that, that we've all been told, especially everybody our age and younger, that for sure you have to go to college to make it. And that's not true. I have some friends that, that didn't go the same route as me after Votech. And they're doing very well for themselves as well. And they have a great life too. So that would be my advice. Be open to it all. Absolutely. I, I would I would agree with that. And I would say for anyone who hasn't heard kind of all of my background, trade school, one of the best choices that, that I possibly made early on in early on in life. 
I certainly learned a lot of system thinking. I certainly learned a lot of how to take things and put things back together. And I'm very rarely worried about what happens when I break the thing, because most of the time I can also stick it back together in, in one way, shape or form. So I, I would agree with that. I would agree with Clint's comments is that there's huge opportunity in the trades. If you, you don't have to drive around very many small towns until you realize that the folks with the nicest trucks are always, well, they're almost always the welders, right? The, the, the welders always, yeah. <laughs> all, always have the most expensive trucks. But but if you, if you were to do something like, I don't know, drive through Texas in a not major city, you will notice that everyone who has the nicest trucks are, are always the always the tradespeople, right, wrong, or indifferent with that. Clint, I'm going to come back with you, come back at you first with a book recommendation. I know you had a book recommendation, maybe some content recommendations. What do you have for us today? Yeah, absolutely. So lucky for you, I actually have it on the table with me. It's a book called The, the Perfectionist. And this is a really interesting book that, that kind of traces how precision and precision engineering specifically has, has changed the world around us. So the story picks up in the 1700s with the manufacturing of gun barrels for the British Royal Navy. And it kind of leads right up to, you know, the semiconductor age and how each advancement in manufacturing and precision has had profound impacts on, on the world around us. So as somebody that's very interested in manufacturing in general, I, I found it to be quite an enjoyable read. So that's my book recommendation. On YouTube, it will be a little bit unrelated to the topic at hand today, but uh, in particular, I think a, a great channel that's very interesting with lots of real demonstrations, real world applications is a channel called Practical Engineering. It's it's about civil engineering topics, which is, I would say, a, a hobby of mine. I could always be down with uh, gating bridges and earthworks and water drainage systems and all that kind of stuff. I, I have a a broad range of interest in technical topics and Grady, the, the the guy that runs that channel, just does a phenomenal job explaining the infrastructure around you. And there is some electrical topics too. He does some, some high level primers on the grid, how it functions. He did a really great explainer on the Texas brownout that we had last winter with the ice storms, for example. And yeah, I, I highly recommend this channel among many others. Did he do the one, Clinton, um, the plastic carburetor? Was that his? No, that's, I think, Smarter Every Day did that, which is oh, another great amazing. channel. Yeah, that was yeah. Amazing. Yeah. yeah, Smarter Every Day. One time, he made yes. it to like a plastic carburetor that didn't explode, you know, but it, you, you could actually see the vaporizing of the gasoline, and, and it, was, it was really cool. Yeah, great channel. And he's so that's another uh, good channel. <laughs> yeah. And if, Smarter Every Day also did a, a huge air cannon with high-speed cameras. And let's just say a, a baseball hitting a large container of sprinkles at, you know, a thousand miles per hour, it looks like a new galaxy being formed. It's it's fascinating. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> you got to check it out. <laughs> th that is awesome. Vlad and I have some uh, YouTubing to, to do after we get done with this. So thank you for that. R Russell, I, I know you helped us with, with Smarter Every Day, but I, I think you also have a book recommendation for us uh, oh what, sure what sure have? yeah I, one i go to a lot well, every now and then i have a, actually have it here too it's the art of electronics um that that book is a, an excellent reference book for circuits of all kinds okay. and, and, and i've gone back to it it's a lot easier to have this one on the shelf and going back to college books and trying to find oh which which course was that thing that we built that amplifier circuit for and you know this this has all kinds of different circuits different types and you just the nice thing about it is you know have a small short section it's not trying to teach you the it's not, it's not a textbook i'm trying to teach you this it's it's a it's kind of a, a quick reference for engineers to jump into and say hey 
I got to build this, this type of circuit. Maybe I got to refresh my memory on how it works. And, and then you'll, you'll jump into here and it'll have a, a description of it, that, that type of circuitry, the calculations and that you need to do that. So the, the quick calcs and then, and then, you know, schematics and examples of, of that. So it's, it's been a real handy reference to, to have. I've flipped it open many times. I, I love that. Interesting. So I, is there, is there, go ahead. Vlad. Sorry, I was going to ask, is, is there a specific purpose you're referencing the, the circuits? Or are you building something for Phoenix or is there a project? Oh, this is like for hobby projects sometimes. In a professional, you can use it professionally. I don't, my, my career, I'm not really doing the, the electronic circuit design for products. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a different mm -hmm. role, but uh, I still, I still do my own things, you know, you know, and, and uh, so, awesome. so for those purposes, it's been very handy and yeah. So I was going to say, I, I love that. I've got a very good friend, Paul, who is a graphic designer. And every once in a while, I'll show up to his house. And at one point, he had a, a book about as thick as you had, Russ. It's just all these different typesets and typography and all of that. And he, he was so excited. And he was flipping through. And I'm like, Paul, this is maybe the nerdiest thing I've ever seen. Russ, your <laughs> reference book may, in fact, be even nerdier th than, you know, 700 pages of typesets. So thank you. Thank you for that. I absolutely appreciate it. I'm also very interested in the book. And it won't be, it won't, will not show up because my wife would probably crack me over the head with a five-pound book if I ordered a strange book of a reference book like that. But uh, but it will absolutely be in the, in the cart for a while. No, th this has been amazing. The, the last question that I like to ask everyone is kind of in, open-ended question as to what can our audience do for you clint kind of going at you first as to how, how can our listeners help you help you help phoenix contact uh, any, any conversations that you're looking to have the, the floor is yours yeah thank you very much so i will i'll use this as an opportunity to say that we're always looking for good talent at phoenix contact and specifically if this energy monitoring project topic is is something that you have some expertise in we're currently looking for a product manager within our development and manufacturing group to help build new products, identify new industries and solve customer needs. And I can't say enough good things about Phoenix Contact, not because they're my employer and my sponsor, but because they're my family as well. I've been with them 11 years. It's truly a phenomenal company. And Russ, he's had some experience outside of Phoenix Contact, but I think he'll probably agree that this is kind of your forever home once you land here. Just really a wonderful company. So. We're looking for good people. If you have a great personality and some relevant work experience, certainly tell them Clint sent you and let's chat. Awesome. That, that is awesome. Russ, same question. Same question to you. How can our listeners help you? Well, I mean, thanks, Clint. I mean, definitely is a great place. I, I just, I just want to say that. I mean, I can't leave that. <laughs> I, I spent a lot of years. I spent a lot of years outside industry before. You know, my, they, the, this position in my place was opened up, and and I mean, what a what an amazing place to come. I really, I really don't plan on going anywhere else. But one of the things that I think that the community can 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 help us is for a lot of people in our a lot of people in our roles, trades. All of us have had a lot of that. We're self learners and making educate making things to learn like like your site lab solace plc making education and learning available and not not expensive or free or allowing the community to contribute in those aspects where you know we learn from things we learn from other people's examples i love seeing the contribution of of that kind of community around around things and we have that kind of like around the plc next where you have the community that's developed around that and people contribute and you know there's yeah, there's, 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 there's reasons to charge for, for, for certain you know, types of applications, but there's a lot of free stuff available. So you, you can get your feet wet, you know, you can do all kinds of stuff like the, that, that kind of community. So people can learn 
that's invaluable in my opinion because not everything has to be a college level course to be, be valuable absolutely, absolutely. I, I think that th this has been amazing i know we haven't super touched at this point and this theme is to kind of all of the different modules that are available on on plc next no vlad has done a lot i'm going to use this to shamelessly hawk the plc next course on solo's <laughs> plc so if you guys have listened to us talk about plc next and you want to learn more i think there's kind of a free intro available on youtube and then i know that there is a much longer course that Vlad has diligently worked many you guys don't even want to know how long he spent on it he's diligently worked with all the folks at Phoenix contact in order to get a PLC next course together that is on Solus PLC check out solusplc.com they've got some really awesome things there and I may or may not have obligated him to building out five or six additional modules in the coming time over the course of these shows so you're welcome in advance Vlad but no you, you guys absolutely go ahead and check that out and then I, I want to thank Clint. I want to thank Russ. I want to thank everyone over at Phoenix Contact for sponsoring this, for talking about the All Electric Society, and for, for going and driving this awesome conversation that we've had around data-driven sustainability all March long. So, so please, again, go check out phoenixcontact.com. If you want to talk to, to Clint or Russ or any of the product marketing managers, tell them Dave and Vlad from, from Manufacturing Hub sent them because we're always tickled whenever we hear that you guys do that and said that uh, that we sent them your way if you guys are watching on youtube or watching live on linkedin please go hit that like button it helps the algorithm please follow vlad myself clinton russ all of us are available on linkedin and on, on youtube if you guys are watching on solos plc hit that subscribe button hit that like button it, it helps and, and we like to hear that you guys continue to like to hear what we're talking about on podcast form, if you guys are listening, I have learned that if I ask you guys to subscribe and like and rate us five stars on all of the places you can do that, more people subscribe and like and rate us five stars and listen to more episodes. So I'm going to continue to do that until, well, until we break the internet with, with everything about all of that. But no, th thank you everyone for this. We will be back next week talking about high impact solutions and how to get those done quickly. But until then, we'll see everyone soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye, guys.